Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. If we give up our dental plan, I'll have to pay for Lisa's braces. People, stop. We can't give up our dental plan. Lenny, without the dental plan, you wouldn't have that diamond in your tooth. Yoink. Hey. And Gummy Joe, where would you be without that dental plan? I wouldn't have old Chomper here, that's for sure. Welcome to the 62nd and final full episode of Breaking Bill. That Simpsons clip at the top was a callback to Eric's wonderful can opener tooth joke from last week's bonus pod and was from the Simpsons episode Last Exit to Springfield about the Springfield nuclear power plant going on strike and Homer becoming the union leader. The title is an homage to the novel by Hubert Selby Jr., Last Exit to Brooklyn, which is in part about the downfall of a corrupt union leader. If you've seen this episode of The Simpsons, and you should, as it is clearly one of the best of the entire series and easily in my top five, you know how timely it is and important. More on that later. Uh, but first, Eric, uh, have you ever belonged to a union? Uh, you- I have not. Um, I had to think for a second if I like if, if I had at some point, but no, nope, never never belonged to a union. Thus, uh, never been a union president. <laughs> uh, never had to decide for a bunch of people whether to uh, go with the free beer or the dental plan. <laughs> that's such a great episode have you uh, been in, have you been in a union yes are I you work, currently um, i think once you're in once you're in the teamsters i think you're in forever and uh when i worked um uh in my uh early 20s for ups unloading trucks on the three on 11 p.m to 3 a.m shift or a couple of years i got into uh, the union there and it was funny because um my experience was uh Reminiscent of another uh, union reference from The Simpsons, without getting into the episode detail, uh, Homer walks by a couple of union guys who were just sitting around doing nothing, and Homer says famously, uh, "Oh, Teamsters, so lazy and surly." And that was my experience with the union guys. <laughs> like I got, <laughs> like toward the end, I got reprimanded and called up to management a couple times because I was just a fucking drunk or tired all the time. I just didn't go some nights, just didn't show up. Right. And uh, so I got called into management, and there had to be a union guy there right to quote unquote protect my interests and uh, i didn't really give a shit at that point so trying i'm working fucking that's when i'm working road rooter and ups at the same time right. and so i'm being a wise ass and the guy's saying you know the manager's trying to be cool with me saying you know so can you agree that you know you won't do that anymore you'll make it in and i was like yeah i'll try being a dick and the union guy who's like in his 50s or early 60s said no you will right or you're gone <laughs> he, was being a, right. he was being a typical lazy surly jackass but he was right to i was being a dick <laughs> right um, you, you so were, did, you were a punk kid. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't really uh, get the benefit of uh, or see the benefit of being in a union. But God damn it, more than ever, unions are fucking important. Mm-hmm. And I know people, by the way, not to go off a tangent here, who are very pro-union and pro-Trump, which is fucking ridiculous. I don't get it. But anyway. Well, I get, all, uh, all you have to say is I know people who are pro-Trump, which is fucking ridiculous. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> But you can't be pro-union and pro-Trump. I don't know. Read a book. What can I fucking say? <laughs> read a book. 
Well, you know that's not something I'm going to do. But, uh, <laughs> that's true. But uh, I agree with your uh, uh, assertion that this is uh, in the top five of Simpsons episodes. Uh, it's so great. Yeah, th- so this was the primiest of prime Simpsons here. Yep. I, yep. I do believe there was a, a list ranking the best Simpsons episodes, and this might have been number one, but I didn't I didn't look that up to confirm. But it's it's one of the handful from that era that my friends and I would watch over and over in, in college. Um, we'll, we'll have more to say about Prime Simpsons uh, later when we get to the mailbag. Yep. Um, but uh, I had forgotten that the character was named Gummy Joe. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was absolutely that moment uh, yeah. watching that episode 25 or so years ago that, that led me to think of a single tooth as a can opener. And I've said that many times <laughs> since, but I guess never before on a podcast. Uh, and my college friends and I would also routinely say, yoink. Whenever one of us oh, took yeah. something from yeah. someone, like you steal a French fry off someone's yep. plate, you go yoink. So yeah, yeah. that's such a common thing in our house uh, every day. And the other uh, great line from this episode that I quote all the time is when uh, is when the school photographer is about to take a picture of Lisa with her giant braces on. Right. Oh, there is no God. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic episode. It really is. All right. Well, this is likely to be a long podcast this week, so let's keep yep. it moving. Uh, we yep. have some poll results to go over. Two polls, in fact. Two polls. Uh, I can't be having all kinds of polls. <laughs> uh, first, we asked, uh, does Bill's finger circumcised at the top knuckle qualify for stump status? 59% said yes, 41% no. So you win that one, Bill. It's official. You can call it a stump, and I'm not allowed yeah. to object. Uh, our second poll, we asked, should Junior be pissed at his dad at the end of Granite State, or should he still feel allegiance to him? 75% said pissed, 25% said allegiance, so you did not get the response you were looking for on that one. Thoughts on these results? Yeah, first, uh, I'm pleased with the first result. Uh, in fact, one of our followers, at Free Roll for Life or Cruiserweight Bradley, mm-hmm. uh, replied to the poll uh, by saying he needed a photo to decide. So uh, I DM'd him one. I think mm-hmm. the same one I sent to you. <laughs> I really <laughs> wish you hadn't sent it to me. <laughs> yeah. And his reply was, quote, there is no doubt that such a finger qualifies, unquote. Okay. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure if he voted after seeing that, by the way. But I'm, I'm pleased with that result because definitely is it definitely a stump. Okay. Uh, which looks better now, by the way, since that time that photo was taken. I would I would imagine it's going to keep looking better and better, but uh, better. yeah, I didn't I didn't need you sending me the picture. Really didn't. <laughs> I call it my Frankenstein finger, which is really what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also that it's ironic as we discussed that I I said my finger had been circumcised, but in fact it now looks like an uncircumcised penis. <laughs> right. So there's that. <laughs> yes. Okay, about the second poll question. Consider, uh, Eric, that while describing the scene in question, which of course included Flynn going off on Walt on the phone as Walt tells him, I wish it could have been more, Mm -hmm. you said more than once how awful and sorry you felt for Walt during that scene, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. If you feel that Junior's outrage is justified, why would you feel sorry for Walt? Isn't that contradictory? If Junior is right, then Walt deserves it, and you shouldn't feel sorry for him. If you feel sorry for Walt, the junior is wrong. No, you really I, can't have it both. No, right? I, d- I disagree with that. I think you can feel that someone deserves it and still feel bad for them. I guess let's. it's similar to what we've discussed uh, with Jesse, how uh, all the fact that he ended okay. up a slave yeah. to the Nazis is largely his own fault. Um, now, it's different because he doesn't maybe morally deserve it as much as Walt. Um, that Jesse was more of a moral center of the show. Um, but still, like you can, f- I think you can, 
I think you can feel sorry for someone while feeling like they deserve their bad circumstances. I don't think those are separate things. No. Okay. That's a, that's a tiny bit wishy-washy, but I get it. You know, for example, you can uh, feel bad for me and my circumcised finger Mm -hmm. while knowing that uh, I stuck my hand on a running lawnmower and caused it. Yeah. So it's the same thing. That's a good example. All right. (laughs) Okay. So, um, okay, I have to I have to eat that one, I guess. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, fuck Junior. There you go. <laughs> okay, fine. And and, I, and I'll say that I know that you weren't thrilled with those results, seventy five to twenty five. But I <laughs> I would have thought it. I actually felt it should have been more lopsided. I was uh, really? a little surprised you got the twenty five. So uh, really? okay. it, I, we both kind of lost with that one. Yeah, I felt like it was not going to go my way. Also, but uh, yeah, eh, what am I going to do? Right, you got the stump. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll get you happy with that. Yes. All right. Um, before we dig into uh, the scene by scene of the final episode of Breaking Bad, I'd like to just take a couple minutes and talk about the opening scene of the first episode of Better Call Saul. I kind of wanted to send you the clip, but it doesn't seem to be available anywhere on the internet except Netflix. Um, and it's just as well, because if you watched it, it might suck you in, and then you'd waste 40 <laughs> hours watching Better Call Saul, and we can't have that. Uh, nope. But uh, I just thought you might want to know about the opening scene because it shows you where Saul goes, uh, something I okay. couldn't discuss before this week. Uh, I couldn't even discuss it last week because I didn't want to rule out for you the possibility that we'd see Saul in the Breaking right. Bad finale, even though right. you probably assumed we had seen mm-hmm. the last of him. But anyway, the opening scene of Better Call Saul is in black and white. We see cinnamon buns being carefully made, the dough rolled out, baked, <sighs> The jizzy frosting spread on top. (laughs) Uh, And then we pan up past a name tag that reads Gene and says manager. And there's Saul, significantly more bald on top, with a mustache, doing exactly what he joked in his final Breaking Bad scene, managing a Cinnabon in Omaha. There's a a scary-looking young guy at the Cinnabon staring at him, and Saul slash Gene is getting a little panicky. But it turns out the guy was looking past him at someone else, so we're getting a little sense of Saul's constant paranoia at being recognized or at someone putting out a hit on him. We cut to Saul back home at a modest apartment, pouring himself a drink, watching TV, and he goes into his closet and digs out a shoebox, pulls out a videotape, pops it in, and watches a series of his old Better Call Saul commercials and title card. Uh, So that's future Saul or Gene. uh, And every season, they've opened with one scene like that, with Cinnabon Gene in Omaha, while everything else on the show has been a prequel. So I thought you'd like to know that that is is where your your buddy Saul Goodman ends up. (laughs) Okay, that's cool. Um, And and there's speculation um, from Better Call Saul watchers that we will spend a lot of time with Gene at some point that maybe the whole final season will be just Gene set in the Gene timeline, but nobody knows so far. It's just been one scene per season. So Interesting. Okay. All That's right. cool. So there you have it. Is Vince Gilligan involved in the writing and making of this? Yeah. So he's co-show runner <laughs> with Peter Gould and it seemed like for the first three seasons, they were 50, 50 on it. But then for the most recent season, Gilligan kind of stepped back and, I think he might have written one episode and directed one episode or something like that. But Peter Gould was the sole uh, showrunner for this most recent season. Mm, okay, but cool. it's 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 clearly made by from top to bottom the same team, basically. So that you can a lot of the just the quality and the attention to detail and the touches. It's all very, very Breaking Bad, just in terms of the the feel of it all. 
So cool. Anyway, I'll be sure to not watch. <laughs> I figured. All right. For the final time, the usual business, Breaking Bill Podcast at Yahoo.com, at Breaking Bill Pod on Twitter, Breaking Bill Podcast on Facebook, iTunes, Apple Podcast app, Patreon.com slash Breaking Bill Podcast. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to subscribe or give us two bucks or mention cat food or vegetable lasagna this time. I'm just going to give you another reminder to cancel on Patreon around November 2nd. Uh, unless you want to keep paying and be able to keep accessing the episode, which uh, you're welcome to do that. Uh, as we said last week, the final bonus episode coming next week will be free on Patreon. Uh, and we're hoping to keep all episodes available on SoundCloud and Patreon. Uh, and I'll just uh, wrap up with a final round of thank yous. Uh, thanks to Michael Cronenberg for our kick-ass logo. Uh, even if Bill appears to have lesions in the photo, as he said on our first show, uh, yep. that logo is one of the coolest things uh, about this podcast. Also, thanks again to Bill's friend Glenn Dowd for the theme song that we've been using every episode. And lastly, a thank you to all of our listeners, uh, particularly the Patreon supporters. You made this, uh, well... Not worthwhile, but closer to worthwhile than it might have been. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, as Eric said, thanks to all you guys for listening, even to freeloaders. Uh, one last note. Uh, I'm obviously not going to beg you for money, but I will use this time, uh, since we budgeted for it in our little podcast here, mm-hmm. and we budget down to the very second, right, Eric? <laughs> we do, exactly. Yes. I'll use this time to say this. It is time to stand the fuck up. Uh, this is not the time to be apolitical or to be lazy or to be so cynical as to believe your vote doesn't count, or that the parties are the same. This is the real fucking deal. Midterms are right around the corner. We don't win this, we are fucked. So register, vote, tweet, volunteer, donate, drive motherfuckers to the polls, make sure your ballot reflects the way you voted. Stand the fuck up, people. It's time to stand up. Amen. We are, we are almost certainly not getting rid of Trump before 2020. We must keep him in check uh, between now and then, and we must make the statement that people want this country to go in a different direction. We're on the same page. Yeah. And hopefully all of our listeners are, and if they aren't, fuck off. Okay, uh, and with that, uh, let's discuss Breaking Bad, Season 5B, Episode 8, also known as Season 5, Episode 16, the series finale, Felina, an episode name with three possible meanings. Uh, first, in the song that we'll play in the opening scene, the girl that he's singing about is named Felina. Uh, second, it's an anagram for finale. Uh, and third, if you break it into chemical elements, it's Fe, iron, Li, lithium, Na, sodium, which some fans figured could kind of mean blood, meth, and tears, which I suspect is a total reach and coincidence and not what the writers intended, especially because apparently there's no lithium in meth. Anyway, Ah. (laughs) that kind of blows it up. Uh, So it was uh, written and directed by Vince Gilligan, uh, obviously his last effort in both regards. It's his 13th episode as a writer and his fifth as a director. This originally aired on September 29th, 2013, to an audience of 10.28 million U.S. viewers. Wow. You'll recall the show averaged between a million and one and a half million viewers most of the first three seasons. It was between five and six million for most of the final season, reaching a high of 6.58 for the penultimate episode. Now all the way up to 10.28 million for the finale. So that's curious to me, like. So double the number just uh, showed up for the finale, uh, and half of them didn't know what was going on. I don't. I no. I don't think finale. that's it. I don't think that's it. I think that people were binging, catching up, 
uh, throughout the final season, like a lot caught up between the 5A and 5B. And so you saw a big jump in numbers for the start of the final season. Um, but then I think there were still people continuing to binge and catch up throughout and got there in time for the finale. And I would also say a lot of it is any other episode before that, a lot of the people who were digging it but were a little more casual about it might watch it on DVR a couple days later or whatever. For the okay. finale, I think people felt like I got to watch this live and be part of the conversation tomorrow. I think probably more than anything, that accounts for the the big jump from 6.58 to 10.28. Okay. So, I, Although I'm sure there are a handful of people who just were like, boy, everyone's talking about Breaking Bad. I'm going to watch this finale. I'm sure there were some of those. Probably some uh, small number. I remember, yeah. I remember uh, Cup of Joe did that for the <laughs> Lost finale, which is uh, the all-time, like, you have to have been watching all the way. To, and even then, yeah. you won't have a clue what's going on. Right, but right. Uh, but, uh, but I just remember him watching the only the finale and saying, I didn't get it. That, that seems stupid. That's uh, Cup of Joe. It is very Cup, of, Cup, of, Cup of Joe. Of Joe. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, our teaser begins with a snowy car window. The car is conveniently unlocked, the first of many conveniences for our hero, Walter White, this episode. Walt gets in. He's shivering. He's coughing. He opens the glove box, finds a Marty Robbins cassette case and a screwdriver, uh, the latter of which he uses to try to hotwire the car, but he's unable. Uh, Outside the car, police lights are flashing. Uh, These are the cop cars we saw arrive at the end of the last episode. Walt whispers, uh, apparently to the god who cares about helping meth cooks, (laughs) just get me home i'll do the rest walt flips down the sun visor and the keys fall right into his lap he starts the car marty robbins's el paso comes on again the song is about a woman named felina although we don't hear that part the main lyric we do hear is maybe tomorrow a bullet may find me tonight nothing's worse than this pain in my heart Uh, So clearly Vince Gilligan was trying to make some statement with the key magically appearing and falling into his lap. Uh, If he was going for realism, uh, it would have been much less unrealistic if Walt had just known how to hotwire a car, I think. Um, I guess he wanted to make some statement about Walt's luck or someone above looking out for him or prepare us for unlikely shit to come together perfectly in this episode. I don't know, but I will say I'm not a big fan of this teaser to start the finale. How about you? Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. Um, and I kept wondering, why is he, I had to assume after a couple of minutes that he was trying to hotwire the car and steal it. What happened to that truck you bought from that drunk Indian? Oh, well, I mean, that got left back in uh, in Albuquerque because remember, he gets he gets picked. He's just st- sitting by the side of the road waiting for the red van to pick him up from Ed the Disappearer. And oh, then, that's right. that's and then right. Ed that's gives him a, so at somewhere after, right. somewhere right. after he got rid of baby Holly and called Ed the disappearer, he must've just he ditched that truck that's somewhere. Right. You're right. I forgot. I was, I was forgetting when he bought it. You're right. Right. Yeah. So he had, right. He had no car. He walked the right. eight miles right. down to the bar or whatever it was. Right. And was stealing a, a Volvo. I, I think it was from the bar parking lot. Okay. Right. All right. Um, that makes more sense. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, um, but I wasn't, there was nothing uh, memorable about that. Nothing to speak to it yeah and there was a theory that surfaced immediately after the episode aired um norm mcdonald uh, was uh, the most famous proponent of this theory he was tweeting about it uh but there was also like a prominent tv critic who wrote this that they believe walt froze to death and died in that car and everything else in this episode is all just a dream he's having as he dies um vince gilligan has openly rejected that uh and i think it's clearly wrong even without vince saying that because we later see something that jesse is dreaming 
screaming. And so, and you know, how would Walt know that Jesse is the Nazi's slave? Um, Also, also there are cops crawling all over around the bar. I'm sure if Walt doesn't drive off, they'd find him in that car before he freezes to death. Um, But that said, it's a fun theory to help justify some of the convenient stuff that goes down later. (laughs) Yeah, I was just thinking that, that that is a way to justify. You're absolutely right. Right. That's interesting. But it's, it's a theory that I don't think holds up at all under any scrutiny. Yeah, probably not. That's a drag. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So after the title card, we have a shot of Walt driving along a desert highway in his car with the New Hampshire plates, uh, pulling into a gas station. He opens the trunk. It's loaded with cash. Um, so we'll we can deduce that he drove from the bar back to the cabin and grabbed all of his cash out of the barrel and then hit the road. Uh, Walt pops some pills, then makes a phone call, pretending to be a New York Times writer. He's calling Gretchen and Elliot's PR rep, I guess. He's finding out when they're getting home to Albuquerque and what their current address is. He hangs up the phone, then takes off the watch Jesse gave him as a gift back in episode 504 and leaves it there. The symbolism or point of which I've never fully understood. Um, yep. Time doesn't matter to him anymore. He doesn't want anything of Jesse's. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, anything to comment on here? Uh, no, I, I will say that I agree with you that I I'm, I too was lost on the uh, the meaning of that moment. But he apparently was important. It meant something, right? We focused in on the watch. Right. Uh, he doesn't put the Heisenberg hat on, right? He's not wearing the Heisenberg hat because he's got hair now, and he's got like right. a wool hat on, right? Right. So I don't, I don't really know what's going on with the watch either. Uh, I, I wasn't a big, I'm not a big fan of the uh, fake call to the, uh, well, it's not a fake call. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's a call. It's an actual call. It is an actual call. <laughs> Although it's so, part of a TV show, so in that, in that sense, it's fake. In that sense, it's a fake call. Exactly right. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of of that. That he just posed as someone from the New York Times and. And gets uh, Gretchen Elliott's uh, new address, not even an old address, a new address. Uh, is he Walter White or Captain Jenks? Finally, we got the Con Ed man back, Joe Petta with Con Ed. Joe, are you there? Joe? Yes, hello. Oh, thank goodness. I thought uh, I lost you again. Joe Petta, do you have good news for us out of New York City? Yes, they're saying that uh, slowly but surely all the power should be coming back on very, very soon. Do you have a time? Uh, like within the next two, three hours, um, everything should be back on in New York City, and uh, it'll take a little bit longer for a little for further north there, but within the next two or three hours. Well, I don't mean to doubt you, but yesterday we heard all of the power would be restored by 1 a.m. Eastern time. It wasn't. So how sure are you that the power will be back on in a couple hours? Would you bang Howard Stern? Pardon? Would you bang Howard Stern? So yeah, I wasn't a, a big fan of of that, uh, but there was there's more uh, there are more moments like that to. Uh, uh, to discuss as we uh, move farther down the road here. Yeah, that one didn't bother me because clearly he had, this was not his first call to the person. Like he had set this in motion mm-hmm. with it, with right. with an earlier right. call or two, uh, established, setting it up. And I think that the detail of him knowing where they're, knowing their previous address, like having, oh, do yeah. they still live at whatever, I guess makes it seem uh, maybe a little more legit than just a guy blindly asking, can you tell me right. the address? But Right, um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It, it's, it's still unlikely, though. It's not terminally unlikely. It's, you know, it's forgivable. <laughs> terminally unlikely. I like that. Not, not terminally unlikely. <laughs> right. right. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, now it starts getting good. We see Gretchen and Elliot getting home from their trip. 
Elliot's sharing his opinions on pizza and Thai food. Uh, it's borderline unrealistic that people who've been married this long could have this frivolous and pleasant a conversation. <laughs> uh, although they don't have kids, so maybe. That's true. That's true. Um, anyway, in the background, in shadow, we see Walt sitting in their courtyard. They enter the house. Classical music comes on. We see Walt close the outer doors. Sort of ominous. I can't remember if I thought he was going to harm them when I watched it the first time, but I think maybe that's what you're supposed to think. Did, were you thinking that? That he was there uh, to harm them? Yeah, I kind of felt so, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was looking I, forward to it. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you were. Uh, yeah, I think especially just like him closing those doors like was supposed to sort of indicate something bad was about to happen. But uh, So Walt lets himself in, checks out the digs. He's looking at pictures. Gretchen goes to turn on the fireplace. And then she turns and sees Walt and shrieks. Elliot comes running over. Walt calmly says, hello, Gretchen. Hello, Carla. Walt tells them he really likes their new house. He says they looked great on Charlie Rose. He says he's not there to hurt them. Sorry, Bill. Uh, he's there to give them something. Elliot holds out a kitchen knife. Gretchen kind of holds him back. Walt says, Elliot, if we're going to go that way, you'll need a bigger knife. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> You're going to need a bigger potion. And so the preppy pussy drops the knife. Uh, yeah. And I like this, even though Walt isn't threatening them with a weapon, they're big enough pussies and they know he's done bad stuff and allegedly killed people. So they're not fucking with him. Um, right. So uh, there's a little commercial break in here at this point in the scene. So I'll pause uh, and get your thoughts on Walt's little home invasion before his plan is revealed. I think what I like most up to this point of this scene is how casual Walt is. Mm -hmm. Like he's not creeping around uh, trying not to get caught. It just so happens that their geography in relation to one another is such that they can't see him, right? right. From where he's coming from, the angle. Right. Uh, but I mean, so casually stopping, he's, he's admiring the uh, structure and integrity of the place and he's mm -hmm. feeling the wall and, and then he's looking at pictures. He's so casual about it. That part is really cool. Uh, I enjoyed that. And of course, it's fun when uh, Gretchen shrieks. And I will say that she looks very good early in this scene, right? Hmm. Okay. Uh, she kind of she kind of falls apart a little later when she starts talking, uh, but uh, when she's quiet, she looks pretty good earlier in the scene. Again, uh, as you said, as unlikely as it is that it, that they're you know enjoying each other's company after being married for as long as they have been. <laughs> right. And I, of course, I love that line. If if we're going to go that way, you'll need a bigger knife. But Elliot is such a pussy. You know, he's not going there. At least he makes the pretense that he's going to protect his woman right with a butter knife. Right. You know, he's not, <laughs> right. He's not He's not pissing on – it would have been nice to touch if he was pissing in his pants and, you know, we saw him pissing in the floor on the floor. That would be cool. Right. Uh, yeah, they didn't need to quite go that far, I guess. Uh, I, I think I would have liked it, just to okay. show what a pussy he is. Um, <laughs> but I, I liked how uh, casual uh, Walt is here. And also, in you know, in this world he's been in, uh, he's, uh, he's kind of a pussy in relation to the guys he's been dealing with, right? Everybody kicks his ass, um, even Jesse. The last time. <laughs> right, right. But he's a monster compared to these two. He can right. rip them easily. Right. Right. And certainly uh, his reputation is such exactly. that he's yeah. he maybe an even bigger monster than he really is. Right, uh, right. Yeah. But he's he's achieved uh, such badassery at this point that he can say to Elliot, you're going to need a bigger knife. Right. Because, you know, I've been hanging out with meth guys for, you know, past year or so. Right. Not so much. <laughs> no, it's um, good for him. 
It's interesting that that you point out. I wasn't even thinking about whether or not Gretchen was looking good or, or not in this scene, but I was talking to Brother Fred this week, and he uh, he's been rewatching just the last few episodes. He's been listening to the podcast all along, but not rewatching the episodes until just these mm-hmm. last few. He he uh, did did the whole thing, and he commented that he was uh, surprised surprised that Gretchen must have looked a lot better earlier in the show if she was so high on our bangability rankings. And I just sort of reminded him that. There wasn't a lot of competition, and we sort of agreed she was pretty average other than the young Gretchen flashback where she was in yep. a lot of shadow. Um, yep. So, yeah, I don't know. She's uh, nothing special. And I actually called my kids over who both uh, watch Friends. <laughs> you uh, asked them how hot is she? How hot yeah, is she? Exactly. What do you think <laughs> of this chick? How high on the bangability rankings? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, no, but the, my kids have both watched all of Friends multiple times. And, you know, remember, I pointed out early on, she was Ross's ex-wife's lesbian lover on Friends. Um, so I called them over just to, as I was watching this episode this week, say, hey, do you recognize this woman? They didn't even recognize her. Uh, Interesting. But I, I mean, I you know, that. there was like 15 to 20 years in between her on Friends and her at the end of Breaking Bad. But, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing special at this point. No, absolutely not. Okay. All right. So we cut to Walt and the Schwartzes uh, dropping the last of his money on their coffee table. Walt tells them it's $9,720,000. He earned it, and they're going to give it to his children. On Junior's 18th birthday in, in 10 months, they'll give it to him. Elliot's stammering, why would we? And Gretchen cuts in, if you want to give your kids drug money, go do it yourself. Walt explains that Skyler and Junior hate him and won't take his money, and the government would snag it anyway. But it would be fine if it came from two charitable billionaires who used to know Walt and viewed his family as, quote, blameless victims of their monstrous father. Walt says to pay the taxes or lawyer's fees out of this pile, use his money, never theirs. Elliot is being faux-agreeable. Okay, great, we will do, sure thing, what happens next? Walt says they'll shake on it, and he'll leave. So they reluctantly shake. Uh, Gretchen needs a, a bit of urging. And Elliot assures him they can trust him. But now the great part of the plan. Walt signals to outside, and two red laser beams land on Gretchen and Elliot. Walt says he paid $200,000 to the two best hitmen west of the Mississippi. They'll be watching, and if the money doesn't go to his kids on the assigned date, the hitmen will kill them. He gives a whole dramatic scare story about footsteps and whatnot, uh, sounding like you falsely claiming you're catching up to me in quick picks. <laughs> okay. Throwback reference there to the footsteps. Yeah, uh, he gives them a shoulder squeeze and says, Cheer up, beautiful people. This is where you get to make it right. He nods to the window and the lasers go away. Walt leaves and Gretchen sits down crying. I must bow to Vince Gilligan. This is ingenious plotting, a brilliant plan that is just so satisfying for the audience. What did you think? Yeah, during during much of this, uh, up until the point where the, we see the laser beams, um, I'm thinking, how does he expect them? It, doesn't, it can't just end where he expects them to do this and they do it. There's right. got to be something else that happens here. But I, with my lizard brain, I can't imagine what that could have been. <laughs> right? And I will say here that uh, I got to give Gilligan and the other writers credit for leaving ambiguous the true nature of the split at right. the company with them and Walt. That's really a nice touch. If I had written it, I'm thinking I would make it very obvious because, you know, rich people are evil and they've only could have acquired that wealth by screwing other people, right? But And that's so obvious. So I'm they should get credit for leaving that ambiguous and not really knowing what the truth is. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah, I agree with that. So there's some credit there for the, to uh, Gilligan and the rest of them for that. Um, I absolutely loved the line, um, cheer up, beautiful people. This is where uh, you get to make it right. That was in my running for uh, best line of the episode. Hmm. Uh, we're going to okay. find out later it didn't win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a really fun scene. And again, I was confused up to the point where he revealed that uh, he had a quote unquote snipers watching them, uh, which is kind of silly. And as soon as he said, and I've given him 200,000, I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, these guys would go in and take them. Why would they only accept 200,000 when he knows he's giving them 9 million? So I, I knew that something had to be off about that also, because that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it made more sense than just trusting them to do it. Right. Uh, but we found out in the next scene what was behind that. Right. As, as far as the leaving it ambiguous, all that, all that we really know about the breakup uh, between Walt and Gretchen and Elliot is that he feels he got screwed. Right. right. Uh, that, so, so yeah, we, we don't know whether he really did, who was right and wrong, and exactly what, uh, and, you know, Walt was breaking up couple lies with with Gretchen at the time we got that de- detail at one point along the way um, but yeah it, but the 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 sort of this is where you get to make it right is one last time of him at least expressing that that they owe him something that they that he feels like they fucked him over but we as an audience really don't know if he just right walked away right. stupidly and uh, and didn't get fucked over you're right that's an important distinction that he whatever it is he feels he was wronged and that's fine that's good that's the way it is most times Right. Right. Whenever somebody tells you some story, you don't know whether you're hearing, uh, you can just know you're hearing their version. Right. Right. You know, yep. you don't know what the real version is and right. if it's their version is the real version. So that's a really nice touch, a really nice, uh, a seemingly unimportant touch that I think is important and, uh, and, and a positive reflection of, uh, the writers. Okay. Um, and speaking of things that are left ambiguous, uh, of course, we're left not knowing for sure if his family gets the money. Um, but I feel we like we have every reason to believe they will, that even yeah. if Elliot and Gretchen suspect they might be being played, they're not taking any chances. Uh, so to me, we're supposed to leave the the final episode thinking Walt got $9 million or so to his family that he succeeded on his original financial mission. So it sounds like you agree with that. Yeah, and and that's played up too by what giant pussies they are. Right. Right. right? If they had, and by the way, I should point out that uh, while Elliot is a big pussy, she's a bitch, bitch as soon as she opens her fucking mouth. <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't she ornery? She's a fucking bitch. Just, she can't even be like afraid. I don't want your drug money. <laughs> Fuck you, bitch. Right. She they... just slapped her one time just for old time's sake. Right. I like that they that they delineated the uh, the two the two members of the couple that they gave them distinct personalities and distinct reactions to this. That yeah, you're El- right. Elliot is the big pussy who just <laughs> wants wants to tell Walt right. what he wants to hear and get him out of there, and right, she's right, right. she's sna- snapping back a little bit and uh, and yep. being a bitch toward him. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, so next up, maybe the most purely fun part of the episode. Yep. Walt pulls Absolutely. his car over. Two shadowy figures come running across the street. And it's the duo collectively known as Skinny Beaver. Exactly. Uh, it's impossible <laughs> not to get a kick out of seeing yep. Badger and Skinny Pete here. Did you guess it was them before it was revealed? No, my wife did, though. Oh, she said it right before As uh, soon as she saw the shot, she said it's Jesse's friends. And I said, get uh, out of here, Skinny Beaver. <laughs> and, it was, and that was really fun. It was great to see them in a final appearance. Yeah, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly when I first watched it, I think that I was thinking maybe it was going to be Huel and Kubi. Um, but then after seeing their, like, I had already figured out that probably the lasers 
were were fake and there weren't that these weren't really, really hitmen. Yeah. I kind of I kind of sensed something was up with that. Um, so, but I was thinking it was Huel and Kubi. Uh, but then once I saw the bodies in shadow, obviously <laughs> there was no Huel there. Um, so I, I knew that was wrong. And I think I think I kind of put it together just as it was being revealed. Kind of one of those deals that as you're seeing it's Badger and Skinny Pete. I was starting to think, oh, it's going to be Badger and Skinny Pete. Um, but uh, speaking of Huel. That's one loose thread Breaking Bad never addressed, whether Huel is just sitting in that safe house for the rest of eternity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Vince Gilligan was asked about it, and he said that his logic was that once Hank and Gomi were determined to have been killed, that the cop watching the safe house would have let Huel go, that this little secret mission was was off, and uh, that he would have been let go at that point. More importantly... Where was Skinny Pete? When we were in the desert. <laughs> I know. Waiting for la- that motherfucker to pick last, last chance to rant about it. Let it let it all out, Bill. <laughs> and uh, on the day when I finally get to meet, uh, what's his name? Vince Gilligan. Vince Gilligan, yes. Right. <laughs> I'll have two questions for him. A, okay. why don't you change your last name from Gilligan to something that's not hilarious and stupid? Right. <laughs> two, where the fuck was Skinny Pete? You never addressed it. What the fuck? You can't just leave that out there. Yeah, it's fine. He gave up. He went home. That doesn't, I don't buy it. Okay. It ruined the whole show for me, the whole experience. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. All right, back to, the, back to the scene here. Um, Badger and Pete give Walt his, the laser pointers back. Uh, they didn't have weapons, just laser pointers. Uh, Badger and Pete thought this mission felt kind of shady, like morality-wise. He hands them, stack, <laughs> he hands them stacks of cash. Uh, looks like about $10,000 each. They feel better. Uh, Walt asks about the blue meth that's out there. They assumed he was cooking it. Pete says the product is better than ever and then walks it back a little. Uh, hearing about the quality, Walt realizes it must be Jesse. Badger and Pete thought he moved to Alaska. Uh, and Walt drives off all pissed. So I love this. Uh, great comedic payoff to a brilliant plan, it sounds like. As the world's leading Skinny Beaver super fan, you felt the same way. Yeah, absolutely. It was a fun scene. And the only uh, light scene, really, of the episode. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Yeah, I was about to say we could have used one later, but not really. You know, it, the rest of the episode had to go the way it went. So this was a, a nice uh, breath of uh, humor uh, early in this episode. Thoroughly enjoyable. I loved uh, seeing those guys. They were yep. fun. Yep. All right. So we cut to dreamlike footage, uh, dreamlike because it is a dream, uh, of yep. Jesse making a box in Woodshop. You may remember he talked about this in his uh, yep. NA group once. Uh, he made this awesome box. Uh, then traded it for weed. Uh, it's this perfect box. Jesse box. looks clean shaven and healthy. He closes his eyes, smells the box, uh, then <laughs> snaps back to reality where he has a ratty <laughs> mess of hair, full beard, scars, and he's chained up cooking. Just awful to watch. However you felt about Jesse along the way, this is painful to see. Anything to comment on here? Yeah, I don't know why this occurred to me when it did, but it just at this point, I wrote in my notes, Jesse is paying for all his sins. Uh, during that part, uh, the dream sequence when he's uh, working on his bulks, um, <laughs> I flashed back to, of course, the therapy scene when he's talking about it, mm-hmm. and then also to his speech. That that is really sticking with me. I've mentioned it several times during the course of our uh, podcast here. Um, how he talks about uh, if we just forgive ourselves for everything, then what's the point of doing good, right? right? And so I. Uh, it was right at this point where I started feeling like he's he's paying now for all these sins. He feels terrible guilt and remorse uh, for all the terrible things he's done. Mostly, I guess, for uh, shooting uh, 
Gale. What's his name? Beaver? Gail. Gail. Beaver. Not everyone on this show is named Beaver. In fact, no one on this show is named Beaver. <laughs> I think if I write a show, when I write a show someday, everybody's going to be named Beaver. Skinny Beaver, Big Beaver, Little Beaver. <laughs> Albino Beaver, Light Haired Beaver, Dark Haired Beaver. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> Smelly Beaver. Smell, I know. You just barely beat me to Smelly Beaver. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I felt like uh, this is his penance. What he's doing now is is... Uh, penance for all the things he feels guilt, guilty about, and things that um, we've never really, we never really saw uh, Walt feeling remorse for all the people he killed and all the bad things he did. Right? Um, right. Like you, you earlier called Jesse the moral center of the show, mm-hmm. and that's true. Yeah. He feels real remorse and guilt over all the terrible things where uh, Walt never really uh, expressed that, even if he felt it. So we have to assume he didn't, right? And so he's going through all this now to um, to pay for all those sins. So I felt like watching this scene. Yeah, that's that's good analysis. I I think it's a case like to me as a viewer, I feel like Jesse is paying above and beyond his sins. Uh, you know, with with this particularly awful situation, but I think it's reasonable to conclude that that Jesse has such guilt and self loathing and all that that he that he might even as he's wandering like a zombie through this this cooking routine that he has to do while being a prisoner of the Nazis that uh, on some level, he just is wandering through it, doing it and feeling like he, he deserves this. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Right. That's exactly what I'm getting to. Yeah. Yep. He's paying for his sins. He's doing penance yeah. and this is his hell. Yeah. And he's trying to earn his way out of it. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. I think, I think it's a little much for, you know, that, <laughs> that, you know, I don't think that he sinned enough to deserve this, but, uh, <laughs> but absolutely that, uh, yeah, people who do bad stuff on this show do do pay some price. Jesse may be paying the worst price, really, when you add it all up. But So next we cut to the Denny's scene that started season 5A. Uh, so hot Denny's waitress gets into the yeah, bangability rankings again. Yep. Uh, did you notice Walt making the number 52 with bacon this time around? Only because I was looking at it and uh, looking for it, I should say. And <laughs> oh, God, really I'm glad you were looking at it. That was no. the problem the first time. You weren't looking at the television. <laughs> Didn't really look like a 52 to me. It's a very crude 52. Right. If you, well, if you weren't, if I think if you didn't know it was supposed to be a 52, you wouldn't really see it as a 52. I, I wouldn't have anyway. Okay. It doesn't look like a 52. And I guess, I don't know, bacon isn't so flexible that you could fashion it into a convincing 52 in my right. mind. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's been too look. long since I've had real bacon. I don't know. <laughs> That's the problem. Could be. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, we are reminded about the machine gun in his trunk. Then mm-hmm. we cut to him retrieving the ricin from his house at the start of season 5B. He stands in his living room, and we get a flashback to the pilot uh, two yep. years earlier to the day in Showtime as Walt remembers Hank offering to take him on a ride-along. Uh, we see the whole family, plus Gomi, uh, before all this shit started. Hank telling Walt to get a little excitement in your life. So really, this is all Hank Frank's fault, right? Absolutely. And look how, <laughs> look how cocky and unlikable Hank Frank is. Yes, right? he was. Look he was a very di- yeah. He was a very different, the, especially the pilot, but really maybe even the first two or three episodes, maybe like up until about the intervention when we started to see a little bit of a different side of him. He was yeah. in yeah, absolute like windbag douche. Yeah, and um, in a much later scene in this episode, which we'll get to, uh, I flashed back to this scene um, when Walt says something, but I'll mention that when we get to it. Hmm. But yeah, this was kind of cool to look back at. Uh, and him remembering that scene that as a flashback. That was cool. Yeah. Okay, so we cut to Lydia entering the cafe where she meets up oh, with let Todd. Me, 
Oh yeah. Let me you stop you for a second here, okay. by the way, okay. and say this is um, when I, um, even though we already saw this, him going into the house to get Occam's rice and, and um, seeing the neighbor. Che- Chekhov's rice. Chekhov's. What did I say? Occam's. You're thinking I'm thinking of Occam's, Occam's razor, razor. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's starting to bother me how freely he's walking around, and we'll get to this more later. Right. Like he visits his own his old house, and says hi to his neighbor, and we right. we find out later that she calls the cops when that happens. But right. this seems a little odd that he's just walking around. Like there aren't cops everywhere. Look, he's under a he's a fucking nationwide manhunt. Right. Right. And he's just walking. Well, around. I think the manhunt has basically stopped because it's been several months now. Like I don't think I think it's safe to assume nobody was on the lookout for him. Well, actually, I guess that's not true because they they'd sent the police up to right. uh, New Hampshire. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it's the, not in full on manhunt mode in Albuquerque before he gets spotted there. But yeah, once he's gotten spotted there, um, you're right. And I I think that that's a big part of the basis for the wacky theory that this is all a dream or whatever Yep, Um, because he's walking around kind of freely yep he is um okay uh we cut to lydia entering the cafe where she meets up with todd walt is sitting in the background not sure if you noticed him immediately or not all right so she orders her usual chamomile tea with soy milk there's a packet of stevia there Todd enters. They're not sitting back to back, just sharing a table. Walt comes over and pulls up a chair, says just give him two minutes. He thinks Todd's running out of methylamine. Uh, So Walt has a new cooking method that doesn't require methylamine. For a million dollars, he'll teach it to Todd. Lydia, on behalf of the audience, asks, how did you know to find us here? Uh, Walt Walt answers that she's schedule-oriented, and she always used to meet him there at 10 a.m. on Tuesday mornings. Uh, Lydia's interested in the deal, or at least she's saying she is. Todd isn't. Walt offers to come over tonight and talk to Uncle Jack. The waiter comes over. Walt leaves. Todd tells Lydia it's a bad idea to do business with him, and she agrees. She was full of shit when she told Walt she was interested. What she's really thinking is they need to kill Walt, and she says you'd be doing him a favor. Then we get a long, focused look at her dumping in the packet of stevia. I assume you knew what that close-up of the stevia going into the tea meant. No, I did not. My wife did. Oh, really? I was especially slow during this episode, apparently. (laughs) I guess so. I feel like when they did that really prolonged shot... Um, I, I noted. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that it also was aided for me, I guess, in, in identifying that by the fact that a lot of people guessed heading into the finale that the ricin would be for Lydia, that there was a reason we were made so aware of her love for Stevia. Um, but I guess, you know, that obviously hadn't occurred to you and you weren't like surfing the Internet for theories in between last week and this week. <laughs> um, but, you know, you did clearly predict uh, on the last episode that the machine gun was for the Nazis. So uh, you, you got that one, but it didn't occur to you that the ricin would be for Lydia. No, I'd noted how long the, the camera stayed on the Stevia. Uh, and I knew that had to mean something. Right. But uh my wife pointed out that, uh, you know, that he was there and the rice. And I said, oh, yeah, he's going to poison that bitch. Good. No <laughs> <response>. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That matches. Yeah. Um, anything else from the from this scene at the cafe? No, it's a fun scene. Uh, uh, Todd is, is uh, as creepy as always. Yep. And she is uh, oxygen sucking as always. Can't stand her character. <laughs> and was happy to find out what happens to her later. Right. But, uh. But I would have been. I would have liked a longer uh, look at that, right? Okay. I would have liked something a little uh, more detailed. But um, a yeah, fun scene though, and uh, I I didn't get um what was going on of course entirely, 
And uh, but I knew something was up when Walt just gave up so easily and said, "Okay." Um, well, he didn't really give up, but because they accepted. Right. She basically asked surface. him, told him he right. was just leaving or whatever. Right. And, uh, right. Here was what I'm thinking, and I'm uh, stumbling explaining it, but um, it, it seemed too obvious and simple um, for him to have uh, made it uh, something being something truthful. There had to be some un, some uh, subtext there that he wasn't uh, revealing to them, right. which of course was the case. Right. I just didn't know what it was yet. Okay. Um, and this is a minor thing, but on the Insider podcast, they noted that in the Crystal Blue Persuasion montage, which was back in the season 5A finale, um, that they would have showed Walt and Lydia meeting at a few different places during that montage, um, but they didn't have the time and budget, so they showed them meeting several times at the same place. So it worked out well. And that turned out to be lucky, yeah. The writers were able to use that when they came up with this idea that Walt would know where and when to find her and what table to place the stevia packet at and all that stuff. Good. Okay. All right. Uh, Next up, Walt is out in the desert by his car. The machine gun is sitting out. He's MacGyvering a fancy device where this metal arm spins around when he clicks the car remote. He's apparently humming the Marty Robbins song from earlier, which I never would have realized without the help of the Internet. Um, He makes some adjustments, fingers his wedding ring, clicks the device off. Anything to comment on here? Just that I was the song that he was humming or or singing sounded very familiar and not from the uh, Marty Robbins cassette tape. I thought it was something that I knew, but I guess not because I I don't I never heard of Marty Robbins. Right. So um, (laughs) I guess now you're not a a hardcore Marty Robbins fan. (laughs) I'm not yet. Country music of 1959 isn't your you're you're not in that demo. Country music of any era, not in that demo. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I couldn't figure out what the song was and um. And so, I, of course, I knew he was preparing that machine gun and whatnot right. for uh, the Nazis, because who else would he be preparing it for? But right. I didn't know, of course, how it was going to be employed. And in fact, I was thinking the plan at this point, I was thinking the plan was to lure them out to that spot in the desert somewhere. Ah, That's okay. what I thought was happening there. Not no. that he was putting it in his car. Right. Well, yeah, I was doing, I mean, something you knew it connected somehow to the car remote. Right. Um, right. I don't know. I, I, I could be sort of misremembering how much I had figured out here, but I feel like I, my original thinking was that they was that they kind of showed us too much here. Like I know that they needed to show us this, him putting this this whole thing right. together, right. but I also felt like it completely gave away what he was going to do with the gun. And I guess that was the idea that we were supposed to know what he was trying to do more or less uh, so that when he's there with the Nazis, we know what he's trying to do with the remote pretty much. And the, the suspense would be in whether he can pull it off that we'd get tight sphinctered over watching him try. Um, but I feel like once they showed that arm rotating and all that, my memory is that I, that I realized, okay, he's building like some sort of rotating arm that the machine gun is going to sit on and, and spray bullets all over. Yeah, they they, sh- they showed us a lot there, but I yeah, guess I they kind of had to. I don't know. Um, okay. Well, I guess I, I knew how it was. I knew that there was going to be a shooting mechanism. I just didn't know where it was going to take place. Right. And I thought they were going to. He was going to lure them out to the desert. To the desert. Okay. Um, all right. Next, a camera shot pans across Skyler's crappy apartment. The phone is ringing. She lets the machine get it. Marie is leaving a message. Skyler is smoking. Marie has news about Walt, so Skyler picks up. Marie says Walt's in town. We see that there's a DEA guy protecting Marie standing outside her house. Walt's been spotted a few places. They go back and forth about the old neighbors, Becky and Carol. Marie reports that he supposedly looked like the Unabomber. 
A uh, lot of rumors. Marie's not sure what's what, but she thinks he would only go to Skyler, to Marie, or to Junior, uh, which is pretty egotistical of Marie to think that he'd come to her. Um, yep. But uh, so they're watching the high school. They're probably watching Skyler's place too. Marie's getting worked up. She calls Walton arrogant asshole just because the guy got your husband killed. Jeez, let exactly. it go. A bitch. He's <laughs> um, holding a grudge. <laughs> yep. Anyway, Marie says to be on the lookout. Uh, she still cares about her sister, despite everything. And Skylar hangs up the phone. And great reveal. We have a long shot and a slow close-up. She says five minutes to somebody. And we see Walt was standing there behind the column in the middle of the room the whole time. Skylar asks if he killed or hurt anybody sneaking in. He says no. She says... You look terrible. Oof, Maron, he looks terrible. Walt says, yeah, but I feel good. She asks why he's there. He says, it's over. It's over, Johnny. He says he needed a proper goodbye, not that phone call they had where he had to put on a show for the police. She says if he's letting the police have him, then what's to stop, stop the Nazis from coming back for her? Uh, I guess her logic is that if Walt's in custody, the Nazis will be afraid he'll rat them out. So he'll, so the Nazis will have to threaten Skylar and the kids' lives to keep Walt quiet. I, I'm not totally sure that I have that right. I don't know if you were following her logic there. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it seemed like that. It seemed like it made sense. But what was to stop them from coming back if, uh, uh, in her scenario? It made sense to me at the time. I don't okay. know if we're examining it now. But you don't want to think about it too hard right now. Okay. Exactly right. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Walt says... They're not coming back, not after tonight. Walt grabs his wallet. She says they don't want his money, but he's not giving her money. He's just giving her the lottery ticket that will lead them to Hank and Gomi's bodies so she can use it to make a deal with the prosecutor. Great crying reaction by Anna Gunn. And Walt makes clear that he didn't kill Hank. The Nazis stole his money and they killed Hank. And now the big moment. Walt starts saying, all the things that I did, you need to understand And she cuts him off, says, if I have to hear one more time that you did this for the family. And Walt says, I did it for me. I liked it. I was good at it. And Skyler just sits there crying and nodding, emotional over finally hearing the truth. Uh, There's a little more to this scene, but let's stop here. This is something I had to dance around for 61 episodes of this podcast. (laughs) Probably about 20 defending him. Yeah, yeah, probably about 20 different times we had conversations where you said (laughs) he's doing it for his family, and I had to be careful not to say, yeah, he was at first, and he kept telling himself he was, but deep down he was doing it because he liked doing it. Um, To me, this moment elevates the whole series reshapes certain parts of it it's the moment that makes this finale a necessary part of the viewing experience Uh, we'll talk when we get to the end of the episode discussion about how they chose to end the show and whether other prior episodes might have made better stopping points but to me this is the moment that makes this whole episode essential Uh, when i said after 
I watched Jane die, that there was one more favorite line in the finale. Both are favorite. Um, <laughs> but uh, this was it. I did it for me. So that's a lot of me blathering. Uh, what do you have to say about all this? Yeah, very powerful scene. Very good scene. I love that when he revealed that. And I, I would still submit that when he started, it was about his family. But when he found right. out that he was good at it, everybody wants to be good at something. Yep. Right? That's what we all live for. We want to be good at something. And when you find you're good at something, you just keep doing it, and it's no. And in this case, it's snowballed. And and but certainly, I believed that um, he enjoyed it. Uh, I find it so sad, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later. I found it so sad that he said I was good at, it and I I felt alive. Mm-hmm. That's a really um, a damning description or a damning editorial on the banal suburban life he led before he became a meth cooker, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Uh, which, you could just say meth cook. Oh yeah, I suppose. Not meth <laughs> you're you're wasting an ur there. I suppose. <laughs> um, so it says something really awful about the life he was leading before, which is the life that most of us lead, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's uh, really sobering, but a really powerful moment there. And uh, Anna Gunn does this great ugly cry face. <laughs> yeah. Now this is not just um, him or anybody else on the show just watering up. Right. And forcing out a tear like a single stream, mm-hmm. right. which he does every fucking episode and <laughs> and Jesse does. They all do it. Right. But only um, Skylar did it here. And Marie did a great ugly crying face, too. Um, she she does. She's done the ugly crying face a couple of times that you could yeah. I could debate whether Marie's is, is that great. There's like Scholars is very good here, though. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Sky- Marie's is just ugly. I'm not sure if it's convincingly ugly. Skyler yeah. does the ugly cry well, face. It's convincing. There's no, you didn't, there's no doubt. It's I'm convinced it's ugly. What's not convincing <laughs> is she's actually crying. Okay, fine. Right? <laughs> You're gonna correct my cooker. I'm gonna correct your what's convincing. <laughs> okay, fair. But uh, yeah, but uh, this is utterly convincing in both that it was ugly and she was crying. And that takes a lot of balls for an actor, right? Uh, especially for a woman, I think. But maybe even more so for a man to make that ugly crying face. Oh my God, it's got to be. You really got to have. You really got to be really secure in uh, <laughs> yourself to let people see that, right? <laughs> right? Or, or um, getting paid well. I don't know if that would do it, but uh, really, really top-notch acting from her. And if she didn't submit this for, scene for an Emmy, I guess she submitted all the other ones. This right. is one that I would certainly. Um, uh, give her an award for it. really, really great acting here and excellent um, uh, writing. And as you said, it does um, put things into a sharper focus uh, when you hear him say that. Right. Because it wasn't all about his family. And it, and even as recently as um, that, what I described as overly wrought scene with Saul, uh, when they're at the disappears place, when he goes into that yep. tirade about how he's doing it for his family. Yeah. Um, even at that point, you know that he knows it's bullshit. Right. Or that it was, to some degree, it's bullshit because he just liked doing all this. Even if he's still trying to get his family the money, it wasn't all about that the entire time. So, yeah, this is really powerful and essential. You're right. Very critical to understanding this character and his motivations and uh, and the entire series. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the, like, it's a creeping thing that probably there are a few points along the way where you could say he's like starting he's realizing why he's really doing it but kind of putting up the front and still lying to himself a, a, right, a lot right. along the way i think certainly the moment toward the end of ozymandias where he screams we're a family and then pauses uh, and sort of more quietly just repeats we're a family that you could say like that's the moment where he just like fully 
realizes, but still there's the scene with Saul after that where he's kind of lying to himself. And then it comes to, you know, Ed the Disappearer leaves him up, uh, up, up in the middle of nowhere and says, you know, good place for a man to think on things. Um, I think I think it's safe to assume that, you know, during all those months he spent up there, the last shreds of, of lying to himself went away that he that he really had to admit to himself why he did it all. Yeah, that's a reasonable assumption. I think that makes sense. Um, and there's a there's a great quote um, here from Vince Gilligan uh, in Seppenwall's book. He he has a, a whole uh, he, he interviewed Gilligan and, and dropped in a few co- quotes here and there. And so he has one in this episode right up. This is Vince Gilligan saying, Sam Catlin, one of my writers, uh, and this was two or three years before our final episodes, he said a wise thing. Quote, I think that the show is over the moment Walt realizes that he's been rationalizing. Once he admits to himself who he truly is, in that very moment, the show is over. End, end of the mini quote. Uh, I wasn't sure he was right at the time, but I realized later that Sam was absolutely on the money. In that final episode, he realizes it not at the final moment of the series, there is a whole other act to go, but that final act is really housekeeping. It's hopefully very cinematic housekeeping, but the final act of Breaking Bad is just housekeeping. Walt has already emotionally ended the series by telling his wife, I did it for me, I was good at it, I liked it. The final act is fun, just seeing a bunch of white supremacists mowed down with a machine gun, there's a visceral thrill from that, but yep. emotionally the series is over at the end of the previous act, end quote. So yeah, that's that's interesting. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, so then we get a little emotional coda to the scene. Skyler says Junior will be home soon. Walt asks if he can see Holly before he leaves. Gets a little dusty in the Raskin house whenever I watch this part. Walt caressing Holly's head as she naps. He's crying. Skyler's crying. I'm crying. Any welling up in the Detloff house? No, not at all. <laughs> not during. Not. not not here now. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, so uh, we cut to uh, cops outside watching Junior get off the school bus. They don't spot Walt lingering behind an abandoned building. Oh, wouldn't um, they? They're just looking for the guy. <laughs> right. Uh, poor Junior, meanwhile. Dude was driving a Dodge Challenger. Now he's a senior riding the bus. Ugh. Exactly. Uh, and, you see, and he's dressing those stupid, like, uh, like uh, zebra. Right, Zubas uh, or pattern. whatever they're called. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and work boots. What the? Who's dressing this fucking kid? <laughs> Holy well, shit. I guess they probably had to lost all their clothes and had to go to the Salvation Army to buy me. I don't know. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, good um, for him. He deserved it. He's a prick. That's what he gets for being a prick. He's not a prick. Come he's on. He's a prick who can't act. <laughs> he's a serviceable actor and Ugh. not a prick. He's just, neither of those things. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, anyway, we, we just see Walt watching Junior from afar. Doesn't get to say goodbye. Um, sad scene, but uh, hey, no junior dialogue this episode. I know you like that. That is a plus. Okay. Anything else to say about uh, all this stuff with the family before we get to the big finale? No, not really. Just, again, that it bugged me that he's, you know, lurking around and watching junior and the cops who are also watching junior don't see him. But okay. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a reach. No question about it. Uh, but, you know, he's on the other side of the building. They don't know to look over there. That's true. That's true. They didn't know to look through the back of the house when the Nazis <laughs> right. were coming this in. This is the thing the about window. cops in Albuquerque only watch one side of a house. <laughs> one side of everything. Exactly yes. right. Uh, all right. It is time for the big finale. This last scene lasts about 17 minutes, so we'll break it up a little. Uh, Walt pulls up to the Nazis compound. Kenny greets him, asks him a question about his car. Is it the 500 or the 425? 
I'm thinking 220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Kenny gets in the car. They drive in. Kenny says head, says head to the clubhouse. Walt pulls the car in in a particular way against Kenny's recommendation for how to do it. But Kenny says, whatever. Two guys come out. They frisk Walt, take his wallet and keys. I frisked him. He's clean. Kenny asks him to lift his shirt. Walt says, I'm not wearing a wire. Kid, you're wearing a wire? You fucking crazy? Walt asks for his wallet and keys back. The Nazis won't give them to him. Instead, they toss them on the pool table when they go in. Uncle Jack marvels over Walt's head of hair, asks if it's real. You're bald! <laughs> no, I'm not. I was bald. Um, I was just having this discussion with Brother Fred the other day uh, that it has to be a wig that they wouldn't have taken that much time off between shooting episodes to let his hair grow in. Uh, but right. in the scenes at the very start of each season, the flash forward scenes, I believe it is Cranston's real hair that he grew between seasons. Um, but here I do believe it's a wig. And uh, anyway, yeah, definitely uh, yeah. Uh, Jack can't get over Walt's fine head of hair. Walt asks if they can talk business. Jack says no. That quail woman, as he calls her, uh, can get them methylamine. Walt asks Todd to explain it to his uncle. Todd just says, you really shouldn't have come back, Mr. White. Sorry. Walt looks at his car keys, and Kenny pulls a gun and points it at Walt's head. Luckily for Walt, Jack doesn't want him shot in the living room. He says to take him out back. That buys Walt a moment. Uh, and Walt gets to Jack by reminding him that he owes him. Uh, he didn't kill Jesse like he was supposed to. Instead, he partnered with him. And Jack wants to keep Walt alive long enough to show him he's got it wrong. Jack's insulted that Walt called him a liar. He tells Todd to go get Jesse. Jack says, I'm going to show you just how wrong you are. And I'm putting that bullet in your head myself. How so fortuitous. Yes. Uh, so let's stop here. Uh, anything to comment on to this point? Is there any sphincter tightening when you have to be fairly confident the show isn't going to just kill Walt before he gets to use his machine gun? No, it's it's not. I'm not. There's no sphincter tightening, but I want to see how it's going to go down. How Walt right. gets out of it, right? Because right? I I don't I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know something's going to happen in his favor, right? Or we wouldn't have gotten to this point, right? Okay. What and kind of an ending is that? They got the Nazi shoots Walt, and that's the end <laughs> if of it. they just killed him in the living room. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be real. That'd be a twist, right? Right, exactly. But uh, yeah, that's not likely. So now it's just a matter of okay, how does he get? How does this happen? What right. what seventeen pieces all fall into place perfectly? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to have Walt and Jesse making out at the end. <laughs> Forgot about your prediction of the, the, the gay, gay scene at the end. Right. Um, okay. Uh, so Todd drags in chained up zombie Jesse. Meanwhile, Kenny's chilling out on an inflatable. Who also, I think, is wearing a wig, by the way, at this point, if I, if I can say so. Jesse? Yes. Yeah, yeah, probably. I would guess that, yeah, the amount of hair he had, that's probably a wig. Yeah. Uh, so and while uh, while Jesse's being brought in, Kenny is chilling out on an inflatable massage chair. And while they're all waiting, Walt is able to grab his keys off the pool table while nobody's looking. In comes slave Jesse and Jack asks, now, does this look like a partner to you? Walt walks up to Jesse, can't look him in the eye, presumably feels pretty shitty about what's happened to Jesse. So Walt tackles Jesse. The Nazis think he's pissed at Jesse, and they're enjoying the little scrap, uh, but really Walt is just taking him down to the floor before he clicks the remote control button. Todd gets down there with them to pull them apart, and Walt clicks the button, trunk pops open, 
and Nazis start getting the shit shot out of them. It's, <laughs> it's a solid 40 seconds of bullets flying and Nazis dying. And we see uh, Walt wince at one point as if hit. The bullets run out. The rig is still spinning. Dead Kenny's body is going up and down on the massage chair. Todd's alive. He's looking out the window. And Jesse comes up behind him and chokes him to death with the chain, which fantastic one of the most satisfying deaths of a bad guy you'll ever see the perfect way to kill todd uh walt just stands there watching it happen which (laughs) it took until this third viewing for me to put this together that it's a little like jane that walt's standing there watching someone choke to death and jesse is lying there with the person who's dying um Obviously, completely different situation, but it's the second time that Walt has stood there watching a person choke to death in front of him and done nothing. Um, I know, I know, I'm reaching. Uh, Anyway, uh, Jesse takes Todd's keys and removes his cuffs, and Jack is shot up but still alive. Walt's about to shoot him. Jack starts trying to bargain with all the money he still has, but Walt has no use for money and shoots him in the head mid-sentence. So here's another good spot to stop before we get to Walt and Jesse. Fun stuff, huh? exceptionally fun stuff, really great fun stuff. So much, uh, you're really cashing in an emotional paycheck here, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's exactly what we want. These these guys, these are, these are the most evil cocksuckers ever on any TV show, right? <laughs> there's no redeemable, uh, there's nothing redeeming about any of them, right? Right? They are pure evil. You can't even, they're not, they're like worse than mafia guys, much worse than like guys from The Sopranos or Goodfellas. Even those worst guys, even those terrible guys, who are just scumbags are nothing compared to how evil these guys are. Right. And that's been made very clear um, throughout the last several episodes. So it's so emotionally satisfying to see them all get whacked. I was hoping, although I wouldn't know it wouldn't, it, ha- it wouldn't happen. I was hoping that um, um, Walt would shoot Jack um, somewhere that he would still live for a few minutes and suffer before he died, but he just put him out of his misery and moved the shot to the head. Right. Right. Okay. Which, as we discussed, it can't be all bad. Right. right. <laughs> um, as you said, it was especially um, enjoyable watching Jesse choke out uh, Todd. Mm-hmm. Although I did have a, a bit of a problem with Todd surviving the initial shooting, looking out and seeing what was doing the shooting or what had done the shooting and then say, wow, Mr. White. And I don't remember what he said after that, but he wasn't. I would have expected him to like go after a gun immediately rather than to start talking to Mr. White. Right? Yeah. He didn't look pissed or anything. I would have expected him to go for a gun and try to shoot somebody, to shoot Walt or uh, Jesse, but he just starts fucking talking. What the fuck was that? Yeah, but that either didn't, way. That didn't cross my mind at all, but now no. that you mention it, yeah, I, I guess. Makes I, sense. I mean, he was right? so, you would think, I guess he's so startled. He just walked, watched everyone he's buddies with and family with get gunned down, and he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And I, I you know, I guess when he looks out the window, he's expecting to see a person out there and not a. Not. And so he starts he starts complimenting uh, Mr. White well, on, I don't, on I don't, shooting all of his buddies from a car. <laughs> I don't think he was compliment. <laughs> I I think he really hadn't gotten out much more than a like a hey Mr. White or, or <laughs> I, I like trying to trying to ask him or I don't know what he was. But yeah, now that you mention it, you're right that you think he might have scrambled for a gun uh, more more quickly. But I think it's also reasonable to say he was stunned into not really having his bearings at that moment. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that was the point, but whatever. It's forgivable, right? We get to see Jesse choke him out. It just would have been more conventional, and maybe that's the problem with it. Would have been more conventional to see him and Jesse struggle for a gun, right? Or maybe And maybe have Walt kick it away, and then Jesse chokes him out. It just looked like I got the impression that Todd wasn't about to fight with them or do anything to attempt to survive. 
he was just like starting to have a conversation, which was again, it seems unusual to me, but hey, what do I know about being? Yeah, or maybe maybe he thought he could, you know, talk his way out of it. Exactly that that it's just him and and uh, and Walt who he knows and has worked with or whatever, and he's thinking he can he can say something to him and talk his way out of it. I I don't don't know. know. Either either way, it was great fun watching uh, Jesse choke his shit out, Mm -hmm. and it was fun too that it was prolonged, like so much in in movies or in TV rather, which clearly aren't as heavy and dark as this. Somebody, you start choking somebody in 10 seconds are dead, right? Right. <laughs> it's not the way it happens. So it took a while uh, for him to uh, to choke the, sh- the life out of Todd. So that was fun mm-hmm. watching him do that. Um, so good for Jesse. And uh, there's more to talk about um, in the following half of the scene. Right. Okay. So uh, it's just Jesse and Walt now. And Walt puts his gun down and slides it over to Jesse. Jesse points it at him. Walt says, do it. Walt tells him, you want this. But Jesse wants Walt to admit that he wants Jesse to shoot him. So Walt does, says, I want this. Jesse sees that Walt's bleeding from his torso. Good torso! And drops the gun and says, then do it yourself. Then Jesse walks away. I have to say, this exchange never did much for me. Did, Did you like it more than I did? It's kind of anticlimactic, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like it. Um, I like that Walt is telling Jesse to kill him. That's cool, right? Uh, and I think it's kind of true to Jesse's character that he won't, right? Right. right? That I makes agree sense with that. to me. Yeah. Um, but there is something slightly unsatisfying about it. You're right. And I can't right. quite put my finger on it, but they're both acting um, within character. Their characters are acting the way we. Ex- have come to expect them to act so um there's there's something slightly unsatisfying about it yeah i don't know what it is exactly yeah i think maybe part of it is just aaron paul's acting as he screams the one line the uh say say you want it you know there whatever exactly he says the way he screams it is like a little yeah i don't know it's not it's not my favorite exchange little girly not girly not girly (laughs) not girly um, oh, no. Yeah, there's something slightly it's, too it's anguished, quite... too screamy. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it, about it either that makes it unsatisfying, but there is something missing there. Yeah. Um, okay. So as Jesse leaves, Todd's phone starts ringing, and the ringtone gives away that it's Lydia. Walt answers. Lydia's on the other end, <laughs> uh, looking like Elaine in the episode where she gets all wet and ugly. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, Lydia's asking Todd if it's done, if they killed Walt. Uh, she thinks she's talking to Todd, but she's not. Walt asks her how she's feeling, reveals that he ricened her in her stevia. Uh, then he hangs up the phone. I thought it was a very satisfying end for Lydia, but it sounds like you wanted to uh, see her uh, in agony a little longer. Yeah, that's exactly it. I wanted to... Uh... I wanted to see her choking and barfing or something, just so she was <laughs> suffering. Now we know, excuse me, we know that she's going to. Right. And it's so great. This proves how it's how how important dialogue is and planting the seeds in the viewer's brain for things that make sense later. When he says you feel okay, like uh, like the, like you're kind of getting the flu, and immediately you know if you didn't already or if you had to be reminded that he put the ricin in there. Right. Um, and that's what she's going to die from. And that's such a it's just so important that good writing has has to contain those those seeds that you have to plant mm-hmm. that um, come to fruit later on um, and, and make sense. But yeah, I would have liked to seen a little more suffering or um, more <laughs> of a reaction, more of a reaction on her on her part. You know right. what I'm saying? I wanted to, I wanted to see her uh, getting her payback a little bit. Yeah. All right. I didn't need it. I, just the knowledge okay. that she's that she's suffering 
and that she now that she has to however much longer she's going to live for a, another day or two she just knows she's dying of rice and poisoning and there's nothing she can do about it to me that's no. uh, very fulfilling but yeah i agree all right so walt and jesse are looking at each other from across the driveway walt gives him a little nod maybe some combination of i'm sorry and get going, I won't stop you, and maybe just a goodbye. Uh, And Jesse nods back, sort of like, okay, you fucked up my life, but you saved me, let's call it even, bitch. Uh, No thank you? (laughs) No thank you? Really? Do you think you owed Walt a thank you there? Yes, I do, absolutely. Uh, I don't think so. After all all that uh, yeah, I, knew, that... I knew we were going to have this conversation. I knew it. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, listen, I'm not saying Jesse is by any means blameless in his situation, but Walt was the worst thing that ever happened to his life. I don't think he needs to be thanking Walt for saving him. I to Nobody... me, it, to me, it's at best. It's a, it's a let's call it's a let call let's call it even situation. At best. Nobody twisted Jesse's fucking arm, right? <laughs> Nobody twisted Jesse's arm. He was already a meth dealer. Nobody forced him into going into business with Walt. He had a choice. He could have gotten out of it. It spiraled, and he ended up doing things he never thought he could do or never should do, and he can't forgive himself for doing, but he's not blameless. No, he's not he blameless. Sh- Certainly no. not. He, so, come on. I, I, I don't see it as they're even. And it's not um, like Walt came there to save him. Walt, Walt, well, in it, well, in, well, in effect, he did. When he, when he taunted Jack for going into partnership, for partnering with Jesse, wasn't that to get Jesse out into the open? I don't think so. I think that he. Uh, Why else would he do that? I think that he be- that that was to just to to buy himself some time. That, um, but also out of genuinely being pissed. I, my my assumption is that he Walt had no idea that Jesse was their meth cook slave. Uh, that that he. Oh, wasn't, he thought he was actually his partner. That he, he that, actually that I think that yeah, because it seems like when Walt finds out that Jesse, in the scene with Skinny Beaver. Uh, when, when Walt finds out that Jesse, uh, the meth is good, so it must be Jesse, he drives off seeming pissed. Um, now, you could, I guess you could say he's pissed at Uncle Jack if he thinks he's that Uncle Jack's keeping him and making him his slave meth cook. But I, I assume that Walt thinks that they were part, that Jesse was voluntarily cooking for him and they were partners uh, in some regard. And then when he saw Jesse brought in, that he, That's when he realized he the truth. To that's my that's my interpretation okay. that he did right. not come there to save Jesse, but decided in the spur of the moment that let me tackle him and save Jesse because uh, he doesn't deserve mm. this. Okay, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. I thought that getting Jesse out of there was uh, part of the deal. He wanted to go kill those guys and get his money back, or at right. least kill those guys. Right. I don't but think it he was cared as about his money at that point. Okay. Well, I, I say that because he. Um, who did he say that to? He said it to Saul. I'm going to go back there and kill right, these guys. Right, right. But that was that was before he had been convinced that he couldn't possibly get the money to his family. I when he did, when he gives Gretchen and Elliot the nine million, he that's he that. that's all that's all he's going to be able to do, and he's yeah. fine with that. I don't think he's trying to that he has any thought of getting the rest of this money and somehow getting it to the to the family. Okay, I was I was entirely under the idea that um working under the assumption that he was in part going there to save Jesse, and when he taunted Jack. It was to flush Jesse out. It's possible. So he he would be in that room and and uh, so he'd be able to save him uh, when that when that uh, machine gun started kicking in. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. But it, yeah. either way, he did end up saving him. Right. Right. He, right. he did. That is. So true. that warrants a thank you in my. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. 
okay. I think they're even. Um, all, right. all right. So anyway, uh, Jesse gets in Todd's car, and it's weirdly shot. Sort of looks like he's going to run over Walt, but yeah, instead he just pulls around him and then tears off and uh, busts through the gate. And uh, is like scream, cry, laughing as he drives off. Uh, so Jesse gets the most ambiguous ending on the show, other than Huel, anyway. Um, <laughs> it's up to us to decide if he starts a new life somewhere or gets caught or what. Uh, how did you feel about Jesse's ending? I thought it was fine. I didn't. I didn't mind that. Um, we really don't know what becomes of Jesse. I would have uh, preferred if he had a bag of money, but I would have bitched that it was unrealistic. Mm-hmm. If he had a bag of money to aid his escape and his uh, his future endeavors, but um, uh, I didn't mind it. That's okay. We don't have to have, in this sense, and with Jesse, we don't have to have every uh, loose end uh, right. tied up. Right. I agree. He's he's not the main character. He uh, for although he's close, he's the second main character. But right. I right. think it's fine that he's got his freedom and out on the open road in front of him, and who knows where it's going to lead for him. Yeah. yeah. All right. So last bit, Walt's bleeding pretty bad. He heads off to the Nazi's meth lab, takes a look at the equipment. We start hearing sirens, and Badfinger's Baby Blue kicks in. I didn't know this song before this. Did you know it? No. Okay. Um, So fun fact, the song Baby Blue uh, saw a 9,000% increase in streams and more than 5,000 iTunes sales the night that Felina aired. Um, it's a good classic rock tune. Starts with the line, guess I got what I deserved. Yep. yep. Uh, cop cars are showing up. Walt puts a hand on the big metal drum, leaves a bloody handprint. And we end on the long pullback as the chorus plays, My Baby Blue. Walt's body, seemingly dead, staring up at the ceiling. Cops show up and find the body. And that's the end of the series. Uh, we'll discuss comparisons to the Sopranos ending on the bonus pod, but uh, Gilligan went with the unambiguous ending. He wrapped it all up. Very few loose ends. We knew Walt would die. No surprise there. You called it from pretty much the start. There was never any way he was surviving this finale. It's a very neat, tidy ending. I like that it's sort of like he died with his one true love chemistry and his meth lab. <laughs> that, that worked for me. Uh, what did you think? I loved it. It was perfect. Okay. Um, and I liked very much that uh, he had a smile on his face. Right? Right. Didn't he? Yeah. He, his eyes were open. He had a smile on his face. looked perfectly content. Mm-hmm. And that's the only only way this could have ended. And it was great. Uh, you would know more than me about um, movies or I guess more it would happen more in movies than in TV shows. But it, it's very rarely, at least that I've seen, uh, a, there's very rarely a good death. Right? Um in which the dying person uh, is relieved or happy um, in the circumstances of his death. This is one mm-hmm. of them, yeah. right? Um, and the only other one that I can think of, and I really liked this also, uh, was in uh, The Wrestler. Remember at the end when he knows oh, he's going to yeah. die? Oh, right. yeah, right. He rope just he, jumps off the rope. Yeah, right? it's fucking great because he knows he's going to die, but he's just, he has to be him. He has to be, he has to be him, mm-hmm. right? Those are, these are the only two um, instances I can recall in popular media movies or TV shows where that happens. Hmm. So I applaud Gilligan and the writers there for giving Walt a good death. The only, like you said, the only way this series could end is him dying, but it's the perfect way for it um, to have happened. He gave Skylar not an out, but a very strong means of um, protecting herself against prosecution, right? Yep. Cause he told her to trade the coordinates for uh, 
immunity. Right. He's protecting his family financially, mm-hmm. right? He gave the nine million to the scumbags, mm-hmm. the wealthy scumbags, and set it up <laughs> so that uh, they have a motivation to follow through with it. Yep. He killed those fucking scumbag Nazis. Right. And sprung Jesse. Okay, yep. so as much as Jesse was atoning for all his sins um, while he was in hell there, Walt, at the end here, if he if it's possible that he can make up for all the bad he did, he kind of did. Yep. And he and he did he accomplished what he started out to do, taking care of his family financially. Right. Nine million is nothing to sneeze at. It's a lot more than he said he needed. Right. What, do you remember what the number was that he needed? Uh, seven hundred thirty-seven thousand initially. Yeah. There you go. So it's they're gonna have nine million. Right. So um, it's perfect ending. I don't. I don't. When I say perfect ending, I don't mean all the stuff that led to it. Because goddamn, a lot of shit had to go right. A <laughs> right. lot of shit had to go right. <laughs> yes, as it we've did. seen before on this show. Right. But the final scene with him laying there, bleeding to death, and in a lab like that, like you said, I hadn't thought about that. But it is appropriate and almost perfect that he dies around chemistry and the stuff that he loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't die from the cancer. He, he died right. doing trying to, in essence, trying to set things right. Right. So that's with a, with, that with was, a will, with a willingness to die anyway, because right. he knows that he doesn't have much lo- longer before the cancer gets him. But yeah, yeah, you know what? But he's never. That's an important point. But he never expresses that. He may be thinking that, but I like to look at it. Maybe I'm I'm looking at him more heroically than I should. But I, I didn't really think of that. But it, it does it does factor into it. Certainly, you're right. He's going to die anyway. My, uh, so uh, rather than try to live. And make, continue to make things awful for people. I'm going to try to do the right thing on my way out. Right. And that was cool. And the last shot was perfect. Yeah. Perfect. It's a good observation about the sort of happy death, or or because uh, I hadn't even thought about that. That there's that little smile on his face, yeah. um, and that he's getting basically the death that he wanted. And the and you're right about the the wrestler, or you know that they're they're ready, fully ready to to die in that moment. They're just. Uh, they're they're happy to do it at that point, kind of, and I can't think off the top of my heads of other good examples of that. But it's a it's a really good observation. Um, but so basically everything you said about the ending, I want to have a conversation about Gilligan's decision to give the show basically a Hollywood ending. Um, I, I don't know if I could quite call it a happy ending, although as you just pointed out, it is in in a lot of ways for Walt. Um, but it's very Hollywood. He executes this elaborate plan. Everything mm-hmm. works. Um, and so I'm not saying it was the wrong way to go, uh, with the ending. Um, look, there's no ending that's going to please everybody. Um, but for me, it was a little dissatisfying in that I'd really fallen for the extreme darkness of Ozymandias and Granite State. Mm -hmm. And I sort Mm -hmm. of wanted to feel more of that darkness. Um, again, I get why they went this way and I don't think they were wrong to go this way, but it wrapped up so neatly that it felt like maybe a slight betrayal of what they'd been building toward. Um, and, and of course, Ozymandias was so amazing that everything after that would feel like a bit of a letdown, at least no matter what, but I don't, did you have any of those thoughts at all that this, this ending is the, the hint of happiness of this ending is a little out of character with, with what we'd been building toward. It's the darkest, happy ending you could ever (laughs) get. Right, right. It is, but I know what you're saying. For this show and for what we saw the last couple episodes, it is a happy ending. Right. And aside from the fact that, you know, it's that contrived everything has to go right in order for it to happen that way. Aside from that, yeah, it's, it's it was the kind of ending in that sense that I kind of expected all along that we get from TV. Right. Right. And this 
the show in um, not to the extent to which you might think, but I think uh, it stepped away from that kind of stuff, right? For the most part, and mm-hmm. was unique among TV shows, right? Okay, you think more unique than I see, but I, I get that. I understand. That. I might think more like you if I saw it two or three more times. But um, so it, the ending um was more conventional than the last couple episodes would have had us expect. That's your right. point. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I get that. But it didn't. It doesn't disappoint because I kind of expected that, more of that, as as we went as we went along. You know what I'm saying? Right. I felt gratified that there were some episodes that were so uh, realistically dark that I was okay with uh, from the Hollywood aspect, whatever the ending would be. Okay. And he nailed it in terms of being unconventional because we got that happy death at the end, even if the rest of it was contrived bullshit. Right. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like that last that last shot made the payoff worth it for me. Okay. That and the fact that the, everything leading up to that was so emotionally satisfying. That's not by accident. Right. Right. <laughs> he wants and after this show, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it a little later too. Uh, but this show uh, didn't give uh, its viewers a lot of emotional uh, satisfaction. Right. Kept us off balance all the time. Uh, changing rooting interest as soon as right. something good happened, something bad happened. And so this was kind of a reward, I think, yeah, uh, to the viewers for having dealt with all that and stuck with it. Not that it was bad, but it was uncomfortable, right? right a lot of the time because it was well done and dark. And so maybe this was a bit of a thank you and saying, "You want emotional satisfaction? We're going to give you some now. We're going to kill these fucking Nazis and have Walt down with a smile on his face." Right. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, I see where you're coming from. I get it. I completely get it, but I'm okay with it. Okay. Um, Alan Sepinwall actually said what what I was kind of trying to say, I I thought he said it very well. He wrote, it is the perfect conclusion to the story of breaking bad, but is it the perfect conclusion to the experience of breaking bad? Uh, I think, I think that's a good way to encapsulate it. Um, And I'm, I'm stealing one last thing from, from Seppenwall here. Um, He's observed that Gilligan kind of gave us four endings to choose from in a way. Um, Hank slaps the cuffs on Walt in the fourth to last episode. That's one way he could have ended the show. Uh, Walt drives off with the disappearer in the third to last episode. It could have ended there. Walt calls the cops on himself and gives up in the second to last episode. It could have ended that way. Um, obviously, they couldn't do any of these things because of the flash forwards. They had painted themselves into this right. particular ending where he had to go to New Hampshire and then return to Albuquerque. But um, it's an interesting way to go out. The, these last four episodes each kind of presenting different ways they could have ended the series before going with what was clearly the most Hollywood of those options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and none of them would have been as good as the way it ended, in my view. Right. None of them um, would have been as satisfying. You know, yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thought experiment. Definitely mm-hmm. not as satisfying, but it's an interesting thought experiment of what if Ozymandias had been the end, that Walt leaves his family and runs off to disappear. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of loose threads, obviously things are not tied up neatly that way, but it's mm-hmm. sort of, it's it, it. I wonder if, you know, we might yeah, respect no, the show even more right. somehow yep. if it had given us that ending and no set, none of the satisfaction of him getting his revenge sure. and anything resembling a happy ending. So, yeah. And that, and that would have been very cool. If you see like the last ending or the last scene rather is uh, him playing cards with that guy in the cabin. Right. right. That's, that's a cool ending. Right. It's completely ambiguous. Right. Um, 
Although, but see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, if you're going to go that far, I, I think that maybe you got to finish the, it, or, or even just to the point of, you know, he p- completely bottoms out with calling his kid and getting rejected, and then calling the cops uh, to come get him. Basically, would I would be more. No, nah, but I don't know. I feel like you don't, <laughs> you don't need, you don't even need the disappearer. I feel like I feel a better ending than than even meeting Ed. I think would be. He gets picked up and he's driving off to some life under another identity, and eh. and that's the end. Now, obviously, they would have had to have not given us the flash forwards uh, in right, order right. to possibly end that way. But I I think that yeah. would have been like a, a very ballsy ending of just like holy shit, everything imploded on this guy and he's got nothing and he's uh, and he's just heading heading off to a new life until he dies or whatever. But mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, like I said, just yeah, a thought experiment. Right, uh, right, but, right. And right. and there's something to be said for that. You know, that's and as much as you talk about um, uh, how people were pissed off at Sopranos, and it took balls to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It took real balls, and some people called it like a middle finger to his viewers, but no, it took balls to do that. And uh, it would have taken balls to um, for Gilligan and his writers to go something with something ambiguous like that with uh, with Walter White. I think I could. I, I think I would have. If the last scene was him and that guy in the cabin playing cards, I think that would have been. I would have said, "Well, I, I don't have the closure, right. right?" And that kind of sucks. But I respect that ending. The guy's got balls to go out like that. The writers have balls to take him out like that. Right. Um, but this, the way it ended, absolutely right. More Hollywoodish. Um, I'll leave it off the ish. More Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <right? laughs> yep. More Hollywood. But uh, I think uh, it provided some emotional satisfaction that the viewers had coming. Right. Okay, and we'll have more to say about the Sopranos ending and comparisons uh, coming up in the bonus uh, pod. Uh, But uh, that is the end of the discussion. The rest of the episode is available to Patreon subscribers only, so go ahead and hit play on part two now. If you aren't subscribed to Patreon yet, eat a dick. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening to part one. (laughs)